Good morning. Good morning. If you haven't already picked it up, this is a special day to, in the life of our church. Uh, today will be uh, Dr. Cox's last official sermon as our, as our lead pastor. It doesn't mean we will never see him again because I suspect he'll be back uh, from time to time and maybe, uh, who knows where, where that'll lead. Uh, but, um, uh, but today is uh, the final sermon from him. But I wanted to do something kind of cool. I wanted to see what, we're going to song called New Name Written Down in Glory. And I suspect there's a lot of new names written in glory uh, because of the ministry of, of Dr. Brenton Cox. And so I just wanted to see, how many of you in this room, would you stand up if you were baptized or led to the Lord under Dr. Cox's ministry? Would you stand Amen. Amen. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. A lot of, lot of new people in, in heaven will be in heaven because of the ministry of this man. And I suspected a whole lot more that we, we don't know about. I'll tell you what, with that being said, why don't we all stand and let's sing together. New name written down in glory.
And it's mine. Yes, it's mine. I let the author know my story. And it's mine. Yes, it's mine. You And uh, there we are. I hope everybody's doing well. And uh, like Todd has already said, today's a special day in our church. And if you're a guest, we're glad you're here today. We'd love to get to know you. Uh, one of the ways that we can do that is through that guest card in front of you. If you could take one of those out and fill it out for us. Then after the service, go left to the Welcome Center. Uh, I'll be there this morning. I'd love to get to know you. We have a small gift for you coming and being a part of our worship this morning. Um, but as we continue to worship, and uh, celebrate Jesus, but also honor the ministry of Dr. Cox. We just want to take a moment to pray and settle our hearts and focus on why we're here this morning. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for um, the blessings of such a great pastor, God, and all the many things that he's meant to us in God, how you've poured into him and he's poured into us, God. We thank you for him. And Lord, now as we, we worship your son and we worship you, God, we just thank you for this opportunity. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this. Thank you, Lord.
can be seated. Amen. Amen. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. And the people of God said, Amen. Thank you, Todd, for your kind words. Thank you for singing that song. May that be the anthem of our lives. Uh, well, um, it's hard to know what to say the last Sunday you're here. Probably not the time to start preaching through Isaiah, you know, probably not 66 chapters of Isaiah. I thought about for this uh, preaching on one of the great transition passages in the Bible. There are some great stories of transition from one human leader to another. Moses said to Joshua, be strong and of courage. Elijah and Elisha, Elisha asked for a double portion of the Spirit. May the next pastor have a double portion of the Spirit. John the Baptist transitioned to Jesus. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. I thought about preaching on those passages, and then I thought, in every one of them, the old guy dies immediately, and I just didn't want to do that, you know? God killed Moses and buried him. Elijah went up in a chariot. That might not be too bad. John the Baptist got in prison and beheaded. I just decided I didn't want to do those transition passages. So the passage of Scripture that I think best summarizes what I want to say to you today is Paul's introduction to the letter of Philippians, Philippians 1. I think Philippians was Paul's favorite church, Church of Philippi. There's a warmth and affection in this letter that, that you don't see in the other letters. And Paul was in prison, and he was missing these Philippian brothers and sisters. And he wrote this letter to them, and it breathes his heart. And in Philippians 1, 3 through 11, Paul says four things to them that I would like to say to you today. Number one, Paul says, I thank God for you. In Philippians 1, 3, Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. And every time I remember you, I will thank God for you. You've been a blessing to me. I'm so grateful that God led me here, put me in this place. And I thank God for you. And he says, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. And that's the theme of the letter of the Philippians. It's the dominant emotion of my heart today. There are a lot of emotions in my heart today. But the dominant emotion is one of joy. God has just been blessed me by being here and knowing you and serving with you. And, and my heart's filled with joy. And I rejoice with you. And he says in verse 4, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is sort of reminiscing, and he recalls his first day at Philippi. You can read about it in Acts 16. They went out to a place of prayer. They would go to, usually go to a synagogue first. There wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. So they went to a place of prayer where they hoped they would meet some Jews they could share Jesus with. And they met some down by the river. And one of them was a woman named Lydia. And she was saved. And she opened her home to them that first day. And they came into the home. And Paul's sort of reminiscing from the first day until now. Let me reminisce with you. My first day here was August 28, 1994. 28 years ago. 1994, earlier that summer, just before I came, O.J. Simpson had driven a white Bronco slowly through L.A. and had been arrested. Nancy Kerrigan 
was training for the Olympics and somebody whacked her in the knee, friends of Tanya Harding, so that uh, uh, maybe she could win the U.S. Figure Skating Championship. Kerrigan went on to win a silver medal in the Olympics anyway. You could get a gallon of gas in 1994 for 99 cents. 99 cents. $1. eleven was the average price, but if you went to the right stations, you could find it for 99 cents. A movie came out that summer as I was coming here called Forrest Gump. No one had a cell phone. Now, there might have been one of two of you that had one. Motorola had invented a cell phone in 1992, but they were big and clunky, and they were expensive. I doubt, I don't know, somebody might have had one. Almost none of us had a cell phone in 1994. Uh, about a year before I came here, I'd been at my previous church in Cleveland, Tennessee, 14 years, I felt a restlessness in my heart. Everything was going great. I loved the people, loved the church there, but I really felt God was just restless. God, sometimes he moves you by putting a restlessness in your heart, and he did that in me. I told Cindy, I really think that God wants us to be somewhere else. And, uh, and I said, I think we're going to move a year from now. When school's out, I think we're going to move a year from now. And she said, really? That's pretty specific, you know. I said, I, I really believe that's what we're going to do. And I didn't know that was the very time that a search committee here began to pray for a pastor. And during that year, it unfolded and uh, uh, worked out the last week in August. We moved here, and kids then, that was the first week of school, was the last week in August. And I was scheduled to preach a revival in Cleveland, and I didn't want to break that commitment. as a smaller church. I just felt like I couldn't do that. So... Men came from First Baptist Manchester and brought a big U-Haul and moved all my stuff, and I stayed behind, and Cindy and the kids moved because they had to be in school this week, uh, 29 years ago, and uh, they moved me here. I unloaded none of my possessions. Some, of you, some people here unloaded all of my possessions. I stayed, and then I came for that, that Sunday, and we moved into a house the church owned where the preschool parking lot is now. And we began to build a house, and about eight months later, we were the first people to move into Regalwood, and they moved us again. They moved all of our stuff there, and they said, we're never moving you again. If you move again, you got to move on your own. That's why I stayed there for 29 years. I didn't, I didn't want to move that stuff. And so I, like Paul, thank God for you from the first day until now. He says... In verse 5, I thank God because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day to now. What does he mean by your partnership in the gospel? I think he clearly means two things. First, he obviously means their financial support. Philippians is largely a thank you note from Paul to this church because they supported his missionary journeys. It says in chapter 4, verse 16, that when he went from Philippi to Thessalonica to start a church, they sent money, and he was grateful for that. And now Epaphroditus has brought to him funds in prison to support him from this church at Philippi and this letter is really Philippians is a thank you note to the church at Philippi for the financial report he, uh, support he's receiving. I don't know what your thank you notes are like. Mine are thank you very much. I really liked it. Paul writes Philippians, you know, what a thank you note. And he's thanking them. So this is your partnership in the gospel was first of all that they above all churches had supported him financially. I just want to pause and thank you for your financial support of my family but also of our church. So in the 29 years I've been here we spent a big part of that time we, we didn't have enough space. We grew, we didn't have enough space, we felt like God 
wanted us to grow, and so we, ate, we bought and moved nine houses on eight parcels of property and doubled the size of our buildings. And because of that, you had to give above your tithes and offerings. And we went through six consecutive three-year building campaigns. So for 18 years in a row, many of the people of this church gave above their tithe. None of that was their tithe. Your tithe goes to your, undesignated to your church. But for 18 years in a row, we went through these campaigns, building the family, building for tomorrow, building people. We ran out of building names. We went to finish the work, finish the race, and finish line. Experts tell you never try to do more than two back-to-back. -back. We didn't have that luxury. We did, we did six in a row for 18 years. Many of you gave above your tithes and offerings, and that has enabled our church to grow as it has. And I thank God for your partnership in the gospel. But beyond that financial support, I think what Paul means when he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day to now, he means that they, they helped share the gospel in their area. They came alongside Paul and preached and taught. And I just want to thank you for that. As our church has grown, we started this service, an 8.30 service, and people left that 11 o'clock service, some of you, and started here. And then we started another one, and some people went to that one. And you have been adaptive to change, and you've been willing to do whatever it takes to reach people from the gospel and move to teach at another Sunday school hour. And, and we had two uh, sets of connection groups. In 2011, we um, distributed a Jesus film to 3,000 homes. We vi 72 people visited 3,000 homes. These are just examples that I'm sharing with you that you have participated, you've been a partner in the gospel, and I thank God for what you've done. We've gone on mission trips, and you've gone with me to Michigan or Montana or Ohio or Thailand or Brazil or Guatemala, and I just thank God for your partnership. You've, you've embraced Oakley ministry, you've embraced the Jesus tent, you've embraced upward basketball and cheerleading, and I just want to thank you, keep doing it, thank you for your partnership in the gospel from the first day with joy. I say with Paul, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And the second thing I want to say to you is I am confident of your future. Paul then turns from reminiscing about the past in verses 3 and 4 to a statement about the future in uh, verse 6. And he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I am confident in your future. Uh, and I encourage you to embrace the future. I'm confident you've got a great staff. And uh, Tim Hensick's going to preach the next two weeks. And then Jake Dorak will preach the following two weeks. And uh, I encourage you to to support them and pray for them and come alongside them. You've got a great staff. Appreciate Todd and Susan and Megan and Daniel and, and uh, Deanne and all of our staff. And, and so, and you've got a great pastor coming four weeks from now on September 18th, September 24th, first Sunday. Uh, and so I'm confident in your future. Manchester's uh, biggest growth is ahead of it, not behind it. And so you need to embrace the future. You don't need to dwell on what's happened in the past. And you need to uh, 
get involved reaching people because there are lost people that God is sending to Tennessee and are growing up in your neighborhood and we need to be sharing the gospel with them and I'm confident in the future not because you got a great staff or a great pastor coming though solely but he says be confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion of the day of Christ Jesus and Paul's confidence comes from the activity of God God's been among you God's worked in our church. We're just grateful for that. Well, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So you don't need to be focused on the past. You need to build on the past, but you need to be focused on the future and embrace the future. And don't tell that poor pastor, well, this is the way we've always done it. Don't do that. Just move ahead. And we'll share something with you, a story. Um, in the year 2000, we were starting a new century and a new millennium, well, that's a pretty big deal, you know, Y2K, we called it. And so we wanted to do something that would be forward-looking, and what could we do to anchor the new century and anchor the new millennium in the things of God? So what I did, I challenged our church to read through the Bible. Let's do it as a group, and we'll read through the Bible in a year, in the year 2000. And I preached along with that as we came to different books of the Bible. I would preach an introductory book to Genesis and Exodus sort of, uh, as we went through the, the Bible. And uh, so people made that commitment, and 88 people finished the journey by December 31st, and we wrote down their names. Because Here's what we were trying to do. We were trying to say, if there's any hope for the new century, if there's any hope for the new millennium, it's in this book, the Word of God. And we've got to anchor ourselves to this book. And the churches that survive in this culture will not be those who adapt to the culture and try to blend with the culture. It'll be those who unapologetically stand upon this book, the Bible, and say, no matter which way the winds of culture blow, we're going to be kind, we're going to be gracious, but we're going to unapologetically stand on this book. And that's, that's the key to the future. So, uh, we read the Bible through, and we put the names of those people along with other information in a time capsule. A cylinder about two and a half feet long, about a foot in diameter, waterproof. We put some historical data, and we put a Manchester Times newspaper and a Bible, and, and we, um, we put a three and a half inch floppy disk in there, and I don't know what <laughs> they're going to do with that. They're going to get that out and say, what is this artifact from the past? But we've sent a letter to First Baptist Church Manchester in the year 2100, 100 years from then. And we challenged the church, if Jesus hasn't come back, if Jesus has come back, you don't have to do any of this, okay? But if Jesus has not come, I pray that Jesus will come back before 2100, but if in his wisdom he tarries, in the year 2100, we challenged First Baptist Church, would you read the Bible through again in the year? Because as you start a new century, it will still be true that this book is true and you anchor your life to it. And so, um, we, so I want you to look at me if you're 12 years old or under. 12 years old or under, because you're the only ones who are going to have a chance to be here in 2100. And if you're 20s and you've got little kids, I want you to look at me if you're in 20s or 30s and you've got little kids because I want you to pass this on to that next generation. So kids, wherever you move, you've got to tell this church. You've got to say, hey, this old guy that's been long gone wanted you to do something this year, and this is what you're supposed to do. So we buried that time capsule in the planter under the stained glass window directly behind me. Outside, 
in the planter, under the stained glass window, about three or four feet deep, there's a cylinder. You dig it up at the beginning of the year of 2100. You open it, you read the letter, and you challenge them to stand on the Word of God. You got that, kids? That's 77 years from now. So, you people, most of you are not going to be here. I got, we got to pass this on. This is oral history that needs to be passed on. You got it? In the planner, December 31st, 2099, dig this up, read this to the church, okay? I am confident of your future because he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion today of Christ Jesus. Third thing I want to say to you today is I love you. Paul wrote in verses 7 and 8, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The King James Version, the old King James says, I long for you with the bowels of Christ Jesus. We don't think much about the bowels of Christ Jesus. We, we say, oh, I, I have you in my, you know, I love you with all my heart. But you know, when you really feel something, it's a little lower than your heart, isn't it? Have you ever got butterflies in your stomach? Have you ever had your stomach in a knot before an interview or something? It's here where you feel something. What it literally says, my, my gut is wrenching because I love you. I have the affection, the bowels of Christ for you. And I want you to know I love you, and I'm so grateful God brought you into my life. Um, and I've talked about buildings and programs, but all of that is going to be gone. It's important. It, it, it's the tools of God's work, but programs and buildings, uh, all that's going to be gone. What, what's going to be in heaven is people. Relationships are what matter more than anything else. And the most important thing in our lives are relationships and and what I will cherish about you is the relationships I have. And I thank you, and I, I love you, and I have the bowels of Christ for you. I have the affection of Christ for you. The, the last thing that, that Paul says, and I want to say to you, is I'll be praying for you. So Paul has a wonderful prayer in verses 9 through 11, and he prays four things. And I want to commit in my retirement to pray these four things for you. First of all, he says that your love abound. Philippians 1.9, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And so church, I'm praying for you that you'll love one another, that the devil will never divide you, that he will uh, never have any victory with you, that your love will grow more and more. And uh, if you're here today and you don't have a church home, you can find love here. You, you, I don't care what your past or how you've been burned. You need a church. You need a church family. This church family will be a family to you. It's been a family to me. It has been mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters to me. And if you give it a chance and you get connected, you can find that. And, uh, but I'm going to be praying that you love one another. Second, I'll pray that you discern what is best. He says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. And so leaders, staff, deacons, leaders 
and start a new future, I'm praying for you that you'll be, have discernment. What's God want us to do? How's he calling us? Give us wisdom, knowledge, and depth of insight to discern what is best. And the third prayer is that you may be pure and, je- de- uh, pure and blameless at the day of Christ Jesus. Latter part of verse 10. Discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is coming back again. That's going to be the day of Christ Jesus. The devil has his day. Jesus is going to have his day. The day of Christ Jesus is coming. My prayer is that you'll be ready for that day, pure and blameless at that day. So I want to one last time to speak to people who are not yet Christians. And if you're not yet a believer, I want to share the gospel one more time with you. The only way you're going to be pure and blameless at the day of Christ Jesus is to put your faith in his only son. The bad news is there is a judge over all the earth, and he's perfectly righteous, and he punishes every sin, and that's bad news for you because you are not righteous. You are a sinner, and you've messed up, and you're going to stand before the judge of the universe one day and give an account, and it's not going to be a good day for you. But the good news is he's declared a day of amnesty where he will wipe your record clean, and we are living in that day. And that day is only made possible because of the self-sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, who took the punishment for your sin in the docket so that you might go free. And by the blood of Jesus, whatever you have done can be covered. Your sin can be covered. That you can stand at the day of Christ Jesus pure and blameless in the righteousness of Jesus Christ who took your sin. He who had no sin became sin for you that in him you might become the righteousness of Christ. And so my final appeal to you is that you be pure and blameless at the day of Christ Jesus by recognizing your sin in today. Jake will be at the Welcome Center. You can come see me here after the service today. You can put your faith in Christ Jesus. And if you're already a believer, will you keep running that race because sanctification follows justification that you may be continue to be what he's declared you to be. You'll become in practice through the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. And the final prayer, the fourth prayer is that you may be filled with the fruit of of righteousness. So I pray for your fruitfulness. And I want to address especially new believers and those of you who stood, I was so honored or you stood that, uh, that I had had the privilege of baptizing you and a lot of new believers and new members. And I want you to run the race, let nothing deter you and bear the fruit of righteousness. And I hope to see you in the grocery store or Chick-fil-A or somewhere in years ahead. And if I see you in the grocery store, I, I don't want you to duck into the frozen food because you are not in church anymore and you're not running the race. I want you to bear the fruit of righteousness. Keep running that race. So uh, don't quit. Those are my prayers for you. I'm going to pray those four prayers for you. I've got uh, one final low-tech visual aid. So I have a baton, like uh, relay runners pass to one another in a race. This baton represents the leadership of First Baptist Church. 29 years ago, by the grace of God, this baton, the baton of leadership, was passed to me. And I pray 
that I have been a good steward of the church to which Jesus has entrusted me. And now I'm passing this baton on to another leader. And so I want to say, I want to speak directly to Brady Martin for just a moment. Brady, uh, I pass this baton of leadership of First Baptist Church on to you. And uh, I have written on this baton uh, a scripture. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, have the reference written on this baton. Now I'm going to leave this baton for you in your office. And I pray that you accept this baton of leadership. And I pray that you live out 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Let me read it to you. As a fellow elder, be shepherd of God's flock that's under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I've asked uh, my wife Cindy to come and share a word to Jennifer, Brady's wife. Cindy and I celebrated 44 years of marriage last week. But we've, uh, we've been in ministry 49 years together. I began pastoring a church when I was 18 years old, 49 years ago. And they had a piano player who was 85 years old. Several times I thought she had died between verses of songs. <laughs> But, but she had not. <laughs> finally, finally, she retired, and they said, what are we going to do? I said, I've got a girlfriend who can play the piano. And they said, oh, would you ask her to come play? Cindy and I have been in ministry ever, together ever since, 49 years. I've asked her to share a word to Jennifer, please. 
49 years, it was a long time, <laughs> I forgot. I didn't realize I was that old. But I just wanted to say something to Jennifer because um, I thought back on how I felt when I moved here 29 years ago. And uh, I thought she might have some of the same feelings, so I thought I'd share a few things with her. And the first thing that I thought about was um, I was moving further away from my family and uh, you know, going to a strange place. But this church has been a family to us, you've already alluded to that. The second thing that I thought about was I left behind a lot of really good friends, but when I got here, I made some great friends, and they have really enriched my life. And the third thing I wanted to say, as a mom, um, when I moved here, I was um, moving my children from the only home that they had ever known. You know, they'd lived in Cleveland for 14 years, and the same is true for Calvin and Lucy, who will be coming. And I just wanted to say to her that my kids did great when they moved here. They adjusted very quickly. They did great in the school system. And today, 29 years later, they are still very good friends with some of the people they met the very first year that we moved here. In fact, one of them's married to one of those people <laughs> that they met here. And I pray the same for Calvin and Lucy. And we're excited for them to come and look forward to seeing what God is going to do uh, through them while they're here. Thank you, Cindy, for your kind words as we prepared to move to Manchester. It's a blessing to have someone who's walked the same road as we are about to walk, reach out for encouragement and support. We're excited about our upcoming move, but as you mentioned, it does come with many emotions. We ask that you continue praying, especially for our children who are experiencing a relocation for the first time. I'm thankful for the opportunity to set up with our family in Manchester. We look forward to being with you all very soon and appreciate your continued prayers as we make this transition. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father in heaven, Cindy and I want to pray together for uh, Brady and Jennifer and Calvin and Lucy, and we pray that they may experience the same love, acceptance that we've experienced here. We pray for them in this transition. We had a seven-year-old when we moved here. I was 38 when we moved here. He's 38. He has a seven-year-old. So, Lord, we understand a little bit of what they're feeling. We pray your blessing upon them. And, Father, finally, I want to pray for this church. And I pray, Lord, that their love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight so that they may discern what is best and that they may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ Jesus and that they might be filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory of God through Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.
can be seated. As we close here this morning, um, there's several important things in here. You can read them on your own. <laughs> One of them that didn't make it is Launchpad, and Megan asked me to uh, announce if you have a first through fifth grader that's, um, that's asking questions about salvation. <laughs> That's asking questions the next three Wednesday nights is launch pad. So make sure you can get your child in that. And then also Dr. Cox's reception parties today. It's in the gym from three to five. I just want to say thank you all. So I won't say anything else. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you for Dr. Cox and his leadership and his love for you, his example. Lord, I, I know he's not done. He's, he's retiring from here, but I know he'll be faithful in ministry till the day you call him home. So we just say thank you for him. Thank you for what he's been to this church. Thank you for the years that you've blessed this his ministry while he's been here and I pray Lord that you'll just continue to bless this church and help us to be faithful to you as he's challenged us to Father we're we're saddened but also are experiencing the same joy of, of having got to partner in ministry and in, in uh, missions alongside of him here Father be with us today Lord we know that you're good all the time and all God's people said and all the time God is good amen amen we are dismissed